Well, we're over halfway through uh, our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we started several weeks ago with love. And we said that really love is the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. And all these other virtues, these other eight qualities that we're looking at are really expressions of that love. There are different ways in which the fruit of love is made evident in each of our lives. You know, take patience. We talked about patience last week. For example, we should want to be patient with those that we love. So patience is something that's born out of our love for the people around us. If we're being gentle, we'll talk about gentleness coming up. We are gentle with people because we love them and we want to treat them with gentleness. We also said that the fruit of the Spirit isn't something that we can generate on our own. It's so easy to get distracted to get discouraged, especially when you're talking about something like patience last week, and you're thinking, I'm never going to learn patience. I'm so impatient. I just can't help myself. How can I ever be patient? And it's easy to get discouraged because we're under the mistaken impression that somehow we bear the fruit of patience in our lives by working at it harder. That's not how we develop patience. It's a fruit not of my labor. It's a fruit of the Spirit of God in my life. He develops and bears patience in me. Now, does that mean there's nothing I can do to become more patient? Does that mean there's nothing I can do to grow in my love or to be able to better hold on to joy or to have peace? I mean, if if there's nothing that we can do this morning to be more kind, then why am I going to preach about it, right? Yes, there are things that we can do. That's the beauty of our relationship with Christ. We partner with Him in our spiritual growth. Jesus used the analogy of branches in a vine. We are the branches, He is the vine. So as we put ourselves in a position to be in Christ, as we abide in Him and we allow Him to abide in us daily through prayer, through His Word, through just that faithful dependence on the Spirit, as we stay connected to Jesus, we're partnering with Him and allowing His Spirit to flow through us and develop each of these elements of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's sort of like a gardener. Those of you that, that garden, there's nothing you can do to make the rain fall or the sun to shine, is there? There's nothing you can do to stop a frost from coming in unexpectedly and, and ruining your crop. There's nothing you can do about that. There's a part of gardening that's just a gift to be received. But there are some things you can do to cultivate the ground, to fertilize, to water, to weed, to keep the bugs and the birds and the deer away. There are things that you can do to increase the likelihood of a good harvest. And that's the way the fruit of the Spirit is. We partner with God. There are things that we can do to cultivate our relationship with Him, to put ourselves in that position to allow His Spirit to develop His fruit in our lives. The question For you this morning is, are you doing that? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you in the vine? Are you spending time daily with the Lord, abiding with Him? What are you doing to work with God to cultivate love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness in your life? That's one of the reasons we've developed these Faith at Home packets that you can pick up in the atrium there at our Faith at Home Center, right by the, right by the staircase, the middle of the atrium. There's that, that, that wooden board, and it's got some packets. We still have a few left. And, and if you picked one up and you took it home, maybe you know it's, it's easy to let that kind of sit there on a counter and go unnoticed for a week or so. Dust that thing off, break it out this afternoon and this week, and begin to use those activities to help you and your family work on cultivating 
the fruit of the Spirit in your life. But today we're going to look at kindness. Now, we heard in our Old and New Testament readings that we are to love kindness. Micah 6.8, the NIV says love mercy, but we'll talk about that in a minute. That's the same Hebrew word that can be translated kindness. We are to love kindness. Paul said in Colossians 3 that we're to put on kindness like we're wearing a garment. That, that these, are, these are qualities, this quality of kindness is essential. But, but the question is, what is kindness? You know, of all these fruit of the Spirit, I think kindness is probably one of the most, uh, I don't know, just sort of nebulous. What is kind? How do you define whether somebody's being kind or not? And is there a difference between being kind and just being nice? You know, oh, that's so nice. Isn't he nice? That just sounds so, I don't know, just candy-coated and just sort of, there's no power really behind somebody being nice, is there? That's not what kindness means. There's a difference between kindness and just being nice. I did a word study of kindness in the Bible, and I found that there are two main words that are translated as kindness or as kind in our English translations. And those two words are hesed and Christos. Now, hesed is a Hebrew word. And it's translated as loving kindness, especially in the King James Version. You'd see this great big long word, loving kindness. It's translated as mercy, as in Micah 6, 8. It's sometimes translated as compassion. It's one of the main words that the Old Testament uses to describe God's unmerited love and favor for His people. What we might think of as grace in the New Testament is hesed in the Old Testament. It's an important word. But we also see it translated as kindness, like in Genesis 40, verse 14. Remember, Joseph is in, is in prison, and, uh, and he is, uh, uh, had been kind to uh, Pharaoh's uh, cupbearer and baker, and he's, he's told them these dreams, and, and, and he says, you know, that when this dream has come true, when all goes well with you, and you, and you go back up into Pharaoh's service, he says, remember me and show me hesed. Show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. And Ruth 2.20, Naomi is speaking to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And, he, and she says, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Talking about the Lord. That's that word hesed. And in Job 6.14, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. So the Old Testament has a lot to tell us about being kind, showing kindness. Now, the Greek word for kind is the word Christos. Uh, it can also mean loving or benevolent. Now, think about that. Remember what I said about the, these virtues all really being expressions of love? Do you see how connected kindness is to love? Both of the main words for kindness in the Bible also can mean love. Love and kindness, that they're so closely intertwined. As in Luke 6.35, when Jesus says, love your enemies. How do you love your enemies? You do good to them. You lend to them without expecting to get anything back. You treat them the way God treats us, which is what? He says, your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because He is kind, Christos, Christos, He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So again, we see kindness linked with love. And then this word Christos is used in our 
Colossians 3 passage we read, and it's what's actually used in the fruit of the Spirit passage in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But more than just using the words for kindness, the Bible shows us so many great examples of what it means to be kind. For example, Jesus in his story of the Good Samaritan really shows us what it looks like to be kind, especially to someone who's not like you. Kind of Jesus there is turning on its head the idea of who is my neighbor. That was the question that precipitated the question. Who is my neighbor? We're supposed to love our neighbors. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story. You remember the story. The Jewish man is on his way down from Jericho. He gets beaten up and robbed. Uh, he's left for dead on the side of the road. And, and a couple of people come passing by, a priest and a Levite. And they sort of see him on the side of the road. And they walk on the other side of the road, passing by. Leave him over there moaning and groaning. But then along comes a Samaritan, and Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They did not get along together. Today we might think of, of as an Israeli and a Palestinian. Okay, it's that kind of animosity. So the Samaritan sees this Jewish man, and he goes to him. And he binds up his wounds. And he puts him on his donkey. And he carries him into town. And he puts him up in a hotel and secures care for him and pays for it in advance and says, when I come back through, if there's anything more, I'll pay that as well. And Jesus asks the question, which man was a neighbor to the man that was robbed? It wasn't the priest. It wasn't the Levite. It was who? It was the Samaritan. So, let's keep this story in mind as we answer the question, what is kindness? First, kindness is awareness. Kindness is awareness. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it says in Luke 10:33, "But a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him." Kindness means looking up and looking out. It means looking outside of ourselves and our concerns to consider the concerns of those around us, to see them as fellow bearers of God's image as people for whom Jesus died. The Samaritan saw this man. He noticed him. He paid attention to his needs and he did something about it. Now, you may not come across someone this week who's been beaten up and bloodied on the side of the road. And if you do, I hope that you will help them. But you are going to cross paths with people in need this week. They may need a word of encouragement. They may need a hug that just says, I'm here, you're not alone, and I care about you. They may need a friend, a confidant, they may need somebody to give them some direction or to pray with them. They may just need an invitation to come to Sunday school and worship with you. They may need the hope, grace, forgiveness, and new life that is found in Christ. Will you see them? Will you be aware enough to notice them? See, the problem is that most of us walk around as if we've got like these spiritual cataracts on our, on our eyes. We, we look at the people around us through this, this fuzzy lens of self-centeredness. And when our kindness is fuzzy and unfocused, we need to do what Paul says in Philippians 2.4. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Kindness is awareness. Secondly, kindness is availability. You can't just stop at being aware. It wasn't enough that the Samaritan simply saw the man and took pity on him. He then made himself available to him. You see, I think the enemy of kindness isn't cruelty. We think, we think what's the opposite of being kind? It's being cruel. I think that's wrong. 
I think the enemy of kindness is busyness. Amen? Think about it. In that Good Samaritan story, there were two other people that saw and noticed this man. But they were too busy. Well, they were on their way to the temple. They were about the Lord's work. They didn't have time for this. I think they missed the point of the Lord's work, Matt. What do you think? They were so busy, they were unavailable. Even though they saw the man, they were unaware of how messed up their priorities were. Being present is one of the most profound expressions of kindness. I've talked about this before, the story of Job. You know, he suffered all this loss and he's sitting there mourning and grieving and he's got these friends who come and they start off doing the right thing. They just sit with him for seven days. They are present and they are a gift until they open their mouths and start talking and they ruin everything. Being kind when someone is hurting or grieving doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. And, and, and men, especially, as hard as it is, because I know I'm like this, I want to fix everything. Sometimes being kind doesn't mean you have to fix it. Sometimes it just means you have to be there. Be present. Hold someone's hand. Give them a shoulder to cry on. Sit and listen. They don't need your hasty platitudes. They just need you. Be kind. Be available. This means that when someone comes up unexpected to talk to you, it means that you don't stand there looking at your watch the whole time they're talking. It means that when somebody calls you up on the phone, that you're not multitasking and trying to do 12 different things while you're on the phone with them. It means you give them your undivided attention. It means when you're sitting down having a face-to-face conversation with someone and your phone goes off, you don't answer it. It's not easy stuff, is it? And now we've got, you know, like I have, we've got these eye watches on our wrists. And so now when that thing buzzes, you know, what do you do? You look at it. You have to fight that. You have to resist that temptation so that you can be present with the person who's right in front of you. That's a kindness. I think multitasking has become an idol for us. It's a false god that promises more productivity. But I think that we're the most productive, at least in the things that really matter, when we slow down and push the pause button and focus on the person, on the moment, on the need that's right in front of us. And and let me say this, we need to be better at letting other people be kind to us. I've noticed something as we've gotten more and more busy and more and more focused on our phones and, and more and more disconnected from other people. I've noticed that people have become more private. And, and I notice this, especially as a pastor, because more and more I, I hear about people who have been in the hospital and out of the hospital. They're, they're, they're gone and home before I even heard about it. And then they wonder, why didn't you come see me? Well, you didn't tell me. You know, let's, let's give each other the blessing of allowing us to be kind to each other. If you've got a need, if you're facing a surgery, let one of the pastors know. Let a deacon know. Give us the opportunity to be kind to you, to be aware and available to you. If you've got a problem, maybe it's, it's a problem at home with your family, with your kids, with your finances, and you're walking around thinking, well, you know, other people have their problems and other people are busy and they don't need to hear about my problems. Give us the blessing of being available to give you that listening ear. 
to give you that presence to let you know you're not alone. That's what we're here for. It's what your pastors are here for. It's what your deacons and your Sunday school teachers and your fellow church members are here for. We're here to bear each other's burdens. God calls us to be present to one another. That's what the incarnation was about. About Christ making Himself available to us. To be present with us as one of us. And we need to do the same for each other. You remember the story of the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' robe, right? Jesus is on his way to heal another uh, a little girl. He's on his way to heal this little girl. He's got a throng of people around him. And there's this woman who's been sick for 12 years. And she kind of silently weaves her way through the crowd to Jesus because, you know, she's thinking in her mind, Jesus is so busy. Jesus has other people to help. Jesus has, you know, bigger things he needs to focus on. He doesn't have time for me. I'm nobody. But maybe if I can just touch the hem of his garment, that'll be enough to heal me. And so that's what she does. But Jesus, in his kindness, Jesus was aware enough that he instantly knew that somebody touched him and had been healed. And what did he do? As busy as he was, as important as this was, he was on his way to keep this little girl from dying. He stops. And he turns around and says, who touched me? And reluctantly, the woman comes forward and she says, it was me. And Jesus looks at her with love in his eyes. He calls her daughter. He gives her his undivided attention. He makes himself available to her in that moment because Jesus wasn't too busy for anybody. And that is an example for us to follow. We need to be aware, we need to be available to people. Third, kindness is conviction with love. Kindness is conviction with love. Because not only do we struggle with kindness because we're too self-centered sometimes to be aware of the people around us, we don't just struggle with kindness because we're too busy to be available. I think sometimes we fail to take the time and effort to be honest and truthful with people without being brutal. And that does take time. It takes intentionality. Sometimes it takes some planning and forethought. You've got to confront somebody. How do I confront them in the most gentle, loving, kind way possible? Now, this flies in the face of where we are as a culture today. As a culture, we're stuck in this politically correct quicksand. And every day, somebody new steps in it. And when they do, and they try to back out, they try to explain what they meant by that, and the politically correct police are pouncing on them, the mob, the Twitter mob is is pouncing on them, the more they try to explain and get out, the deeper it kind of sucks them down, you know? Until finally, their career is ruined over an innocent tweet or an interview comment. And so as a result, what I'm noticing in our culture is people are going one of two ways. And we see this in politics. People are going one of two ways. They either choose to say nothing. I'm going to zip my mouth. I'm not going to say anything. Or they just kind of double down and they say, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to say what I want to say the way I want to say it. And if I make somebody mad, I don't care. And that's kind of the two extremes that people tend to go to. We might say these two extremes are harshness and niceness. Harshness has sharp edges, but it has this hard center of conviction. Niceness has soft edges. You know, it's like a pillow. Harshness is like a brick. Niceness is like a pillow. But it also has a soft center of cowardliness. Now, Jesus doesn't want us to be either of these things. He wants us to find a third way, and that third way, I would say, is kindness. 
Because kindness has the soft edges, but it has that strong center of conviction. You see, kindness rejects both of these extremes in the belief that conviction can have meaning without being mean. That we can tone down the volume a little bit and actually be better heard. That's how we can be the kind of friend described in Proverbs 27, 6 that says wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I would rather have friends who tell me what I need to hear, even if it's going to be painful, than to have people who only tell me what they think I want to hear. See, the people who only tell me what they think I want to hear, they're not my friends. They're actually the enemies of my soul. I need people to tell me when my fly is unzipped. Or I've got, you know, some spinach between my teeth. Or when I am coming across a certain way that I don't want to come across. Or when I'm letting my priorities get out of balance. I need people in my life who will tell me that. Amen? Don't we all? It's how we help each other grow in maturity. Paul explains this in Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. If we want to grow in maturity, if we want to develop the fruit of the Spirit, we need people to speak truth to us in love. I mean, which is more kind? To tell someone they're not the right fit for this job and then to encourage them and help them to find something they can do and be good at and find meaning and purpose in it and contribute, or just to say, because you don't want to offend them, maybe it's a friend or a relative or somebody, and so you just give them the job knowing that they're going to struggle at it and be miserable at it and flounder at it and fail at it. Which is the most kind? The key is speaking truth in love. And kindness requires both. And Jesus is the very embodiment of this. John tells us in John 1.14, the Word, talking about Jesus, the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. And people today want to say that you can't mix those two. That you can't be right and loving at the same time. That you can't be truthful and graceful at the same time. Jesus was both. Truth and grace. Truth and love. And we need both. If you leave either one out, life just doesn't make sense. Kind of like these comic strips. There's these great comic strips. Uh, Garfield, you guys know Garfield, right? You know, John, Garfield, Obie, and, um, or Odie. And, uh, and so there's, somebody has taken these comic strips and they've just removed Garfield from them. Now, it's crazy enough that this man is talking to his cat like he actually understands he can talk back, right? Nobody does that, right? Nobody talks to their pets that way, right? But when you take Garfield out of these comic strips, it's really weird, like this one right here. What is my purpose in life? Ice cream to the forehead. There's no Garfield. It's weird. Or this next one. Good morning. How many of you feel that way sometimes, right? Or this next one. What would happen if I tried to be a failure and failed? It's just kind of sad. You know, he's talking to nobody. Uh, and then here's this last one. It's, uh, 
I am not pathetic. Am I? Yes, John. Yes, you are. Um, but you know, it's just, it's just weird. Without Garfield, it doesn't make sense. It loses its meaning. He looks kind of crazy and pathetic. And I think that happens to us. When we try to speak truth without love, when we say, I'm going to stand on my convictions, but we don't have the kindness, we lose something. We may not come off as crazy, but we come off as judgmental. We come off as harsh. We come off as critical. And the opposite is true. When you're going to hold so much to kindness and grace and all, we're just going to be all rainbows and happiness and love and all of this, that we reject any kind of conviction, any kind of standard or foundation, we, it loses meaning. What's the point of, of church? What's the point of faith? What's the point of Christianity if everybody's okay? And in the end, everybody's going to be just fine. What's the point of any of this? It loses its meaning. We must have grace and truth in both hands to be kind. So whether your tendency is just to say nothing and keep quiet and toe the party line, or whether you tend to bombastically tell it like it is without regard for how other people are going to receive it, either way, you're not showing kindness. It would have been unkind for the Samaritan to see this man in his condition and in his wounds and do nothing, wouldn't it? Would we say that he was being kind? No. He went to this man in the condition he was in. You know, the, 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 the Levite and the priest didn't. The Levite and the priest saw his condition and they, they went the other way. The Samaritan went to him in his condition, but he wasn't content to leave him that way. He did everything he could to change this man's condition, to make this man better than the way he found him. And Christians, we have the amazing opportunity to show our world the lost art of civil conversations. We have the ability to actually show people what it looks like to seek to understand as much as seek to be understood. Jesus never worried whether he was compromising truth or loosening his convictions when he showed compassion to sinners. Remember the woman at the well? He went to this woman at the well who was a known sinner. And he spent time with her and he was kind to her and he spoke to her as no Jewish man had ever spoken to her with, with, with respect and with dignity. But at the same time, he confronted her sin. That she was sleeping around with people. She was living with a man she wasn't married to. Jesus called her on that. We see it with Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is up in this tree. He's a tax collector. He's cheating and stealing from people to line his own pockets. And everybody hates him and can't stand him. He, he's short, so everybody kind of looks over him and ignores him. But Jesus is kind to Zacchaeus. First of all, he was aware. He noticed that Zacchaeus was in that tree. Secondly, he made himself available to Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today. We're going we're gonna to have supper together. And Jesus spoke the truth with love. He used conviction with His kindness because He changed Zacchaeus. That encounter changed Zacchaeus so that He said, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. In fact, I'm going to give back four times what I've stolen from everybody. Or take the woman caught in adultery. Jesus says to her, I do not condemn you either. But then Jesus says, but go and sin no more. That is kindness. 
contrary to popular opinion. We can be civil and kind toward people without endorsing their beliefs or their actions. Did you know that? We can. Last month, many people turned and kind of jumped on the Cubs because they made a trade for Daniel Murphy. Now, why would they be so upset at Daniel Murphy? Because Daniel Murphy had the audacity to express his Christian views on marriage and sexuality. So, Murphy, who is openly and unapologetically a Christian, was asked about former player Billy Bean's new role as the Major League Baseball Ambassador for Inclusion. And Billy Bean is openly gay. Well, here's what Murphy's response was. He said, I disagree with his lifestyle. That doesn't mean I can't still invest in him and get to know him. I don't think the fact that someone is homosexual should completely shut the door on investing in them in a relational aspect. Maybe as a Christian, we haven't been articulate enough in describing what our actual stance is. We love the people. We disagree with the lifestyle. Now, now tone and body language notwithstanding, just, just taking the words of this text at face value, to me that looks about as balanced as truthful and loving a stance as you could take. But listen to the world's response. Listen to the response of this sports writer. For the record, now this is the world's perspective. This is so different from the Christian perspective. For the record, you can't love someone in the LGBTQ community and still disagree with their lifestyle. That's decidedly at odds with how love works. Really? And just because someone tries to explain bigotry away in this manner doesn't mean it's an acceptable or logical explanation. The lost world doesn't get it. They don't understand the length and the width and the height and the depth of real love. They can't understand kindness that is truth balanced with grace. They don't get it. And in today's uncivil darkness and moral relativism and divisive tribalism, we have the opportunity to shine brighter than ever. And that may mean that as we shine bright with true conviction and kindness, that we're going to draw some unwanted attraction. As John tells us, people who hate, who, who love the darkness, hate the light because their deeds are evil. So like Daniel Murphy is experiencing, yes, we might experience some blowback, but I believe that most people are drawn to the light. And they're going to take notice. And they're going to say there's something different about you. We must be firm and clear with what we believe to be right and true. But we must also be patient and kind. We must listen to and love those who are going to disagree with us and show them a better way. We need to be aware we need to be available. We need to, to have conviction with love. And finally, kindness is costly. What did his kindness cost the Samaritan? His time? His labor? His money? He had to give up all of that to care for this Jewish man. And when we show kindness, it's going to cost us time and attention and effort. You know, kindness, it's funny how kindness seems to always be needed at the most inconvenient time. And so it requires somewhat of a sacrifice on our part. But those sacrifices are small. They don't cost that much. Especially not in comparison with the cost of God's kindness and compassion for us. So what might kindness cost you this week? It may mean an extra 5% tip. It may mean buying somebody's lunch 
a coworker, or somebody you've gone to lunch with one day. It may be the cost of a get-well card or a thank-you card and, and the cost of a stamp. It might be the cost of packing an Operation Christmas Child shoebox or a few minutes of your time to give someone a call or to drop by the hospital and say hello to them. It may cost you a few minutes on a Saturday morning as several people spent yesterday loading up mud-out buckets into a disaster relief trailer to go to North Carolina. Kindness doesn't really cost that much, does it? We might think of it sort of as an affordable luxury, you know, like a pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks. It's a little pricey, but not so much you can't treat yourself every once in a while. We can be kind. It doesn't cost all that much. What is kindness? Kindness is being aware of others. It's paying attention to them. Speaking truth in love. Being available. Giving a little bit extra of your time and resources. In short, kindness is expressing to others the same mercy and grace that God has demonstrated to us in Christ Jesus. Do you notice um, how similar the word Christos, that Greek word for kindness, do you notice how similar that is to the Greek word for Christ, which is Christos? Christos and Christos. It's one letter difference. Now, here's something interesting. Ancient Romans, when, when Christianity was really kind of on the rise and, and becoming a thing, the ancient Romans, some of them were confused by this. They heard about these followers of Christos. They thought, oh, these people are followers of kindness, not followers of Christ. They misheard that word. I got to thinking about that. Would people mistake us as followers of kindness? When the people in our world hear the word Christian, they think of kind people? I'm afraid they probably don't. I think that we have not done a very good job of helping people know what we're for. They know what we're against, but maybe not so much what we're for. I don't think we've done quite as good a job of balancing grace and truth, conviction and love. May we draw closer to Jesus Christ, the truly kind man, and may we reflect His kindness to those around us. Paul tells us in Romans 2.4 that God's kindness was intended to lead us to repentance. God's kindness was intended to lead us to repentance. See, God's kindness was aware of our condition. He knew that we were lost in our sin, separated from Him, bound for eternal damnation. He was aware. And in His kindness, He made Himself available to us. In the incarnation, Christ Jesus came down and became one of us and lived with us in the midst of our sinful condition. And in God's kindness, Jesus came full of grace and truth, conviction and holiness, but with love. Yes, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants to change you. He wants to grow you. He wants to mature you. He wants to bring you into the holiness and righteousness of God. And in God's kindness, He paid the ultimate cost as Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Will you this morning allow the kindness of God to lead you to repentance? To confess your sins? To turn from your sinful ways? And to trust 
His grace and His mercy to forgive you of your sins and to give you new life. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Him, not in religion, not in a church, not in good deeds, but to throw yourself at the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, if you've never done that, I invite you to come this morning and do that today. Maybe God is calling you to unite with this church family, a place where we can show kindness to one another, where we can be aware of each other's needs and be available to help each other. If this is the place that God would have you cultivate this fruit of the Spirit in your life, we invite you to come and unite with us. Maybe this morning God has spoken to you about a particular area in your life that you need to work on kindness, about being more aware of others, being more available and attentive to others. Maybe you had a tendency to just say whatever you want to say. It doesn't matter what people think. Or maybe your tendency is to say nothing whatsoever. Maybe you need to come and say, God, help me in this situation with this person to speak your truth in love. Maybe this morning you realize you've been too busy and too self-centered to really pay the cost to be kind to other people. Whatever God has spoken to you, I pray that you would respond. Let's pray together and then let's stand and sing. Father, we love You and thank You for Your kindness to us, Your mercy, Your compassion, Your love that was not content to leave us in our sinful state, but to come and to pay the ultimate price that we might become the righteousness of God. And Help us to embody that quality in our dealings with other people, God. Help us to be kind, even to our enemies even to those who disagree with us and don't like us, even to those who might even be actively trying to hurt us, God, help us to show Your gracious, compassionate kindness to them. Move and work in our hearts in this moment and in the coming week. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.